0: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey,
1: welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you for tuning into this special entrepreneurial and leadership series on Dose of Leadership brought to you by Equity Bank. Great conversation day, Teresa Lovelady. What can I say about this conversation? I'm still overwhelmed. I just came back about two hours from when I actually recorded this episode, and I'm recording the intro now, and I'm just stunned and and so moved by this conversation, as I hope you will will be too. I just I s- sat 45 minutes with her and probably could have talked another eight hours with her on this amazing story to scratch the surface. She is the epitome of what I call someone who's pulled themselves out of the mud. Uh, I call these out of the mud or, we, you know, all of us experience moments in the mud. Um, and I think it's that character building element of when you choose to pull yourself out of the mud, how you pull yourself out of the mud, the multiple times in your life actually defines who you are. It shapes your life where the obstacle becomes the way and how you deal with that obstacle actually shapes your character in your life. And um, man, Teresa is the epitome of that. We all can learn something from her amazing story. Um, I'll let you f- let her fill in all the details, but growing up in the south side of Chicago in one of the poorest, most poverty stricken areas in the United States, and now becoming uh, where she's currently uh, the CEO and president of a health core clinic here in Wichita, Kansas. And health core clinic began when a group of concerned citizens gathered in the early 1990s to address the disproportionate rates of illnesses affecting individuals across a local community. And so the focus was on prevention, education, wellness, as well as a vision to promote a healthy community regardless of one's ability to pay. And as Teresa puts it, it's a place where someone can come in and say, I need some help or I need some hope or both, right? And um, she's just an amazing leader. She's the third president and CEO of uh, Health Corps Clinic, And her innovative and collaborative leadership style has allowed this clinic to move closer towards being recognized as a patient-centered medical home. And she's put processes in place that allowed for uh, true integration of mental health uh, services on the site. And, um, again, it's providing quality family health care throughout uh, the region uh, but, but the, the main part of the story is this tremendous heart, this tremendous gift, uh, of this woman who's running, running this place. And, um, I'll let the interview speak for itself, but, uh, prepare to be moved, prepare to be, uh, uh, blown away by this amazing story. It's one of my favorite, uh, episodes, a very special episode here on Dose of Leadership. And again, it's brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank, a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting and a privilege, an exciting, uh, honor and a privilege to have them a part of this show and to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations in Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And it's clearly a team that knows how to lead for growth. And so if you feel like you, you're missing something from your current bank, then I encourage you to check out this bank, Equity Bank, a bank that truly understands your needs. So go check them out at equitybank.com. All right, thanks for listening Now on to this fascinating and engaging and moving conversation with Teresa Lovelady on this special entrepreneurial and leadership series brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Well, Teresa, I'm so excited to meet you. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Uh, Thank you so very much, Rich. I'm excited to be here as well.
1: I'm excited because as we were talking uh, pre-recording and you kind of gave me a little uh, snippet of your early life and I'm like, oh my Lord, I need to dive into this you know, here you are, a CEO today, accomplished professional woman. How did it start for you? It wasn't when, I, I suppose when you were f- seven, eight, nine, you had no idea you'd be sitting here doing this today.
0: You know, I, life is very interesting. You never know what, you get, what you're what you going to get in the end mm-hmm. um, or as you go through the journey in life. Um, I'm sitting here before you today as a statistic. Um, and if you looked at kind of a graph or chart, you see there is that random dot on a, on a scatter chart that you normally would just dismiss because it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't happen. And sometimes when I reflect back on my life, uh, that's what I, I, that's what I think about. Uh, I was born and grew up in the projects on the south side of Chicago, Stateway Gardens, thirty five forty nine, South Federal Apartment, four oh six. Learned that in preschool. Wow. <laughs> and uh it was a real it was one of the poorest neighborhoods in the United States if you can imagine that. Mm. Um to, to paint the picture for you, you'd have to imagine um there were six buildings that began what they called uh I called it The concrete jungles there on State Street, the State Street corridor, uh, and the projects ran for about five miles of 16 story buildings, about two to three of them in a one block Radius So that went for about four and a half miles, if you could imagine that, from 35th Street to 55th Street um, on the south side of Chicago. Um, Comiskey Park, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with where the White yep. Sox play, we could actually, the greatest memory was when they hit a home run, we run to the top of the buildings and they'd shoot the fireworks up and oh, we'd go no and kidding. get a sparkle um, off of the top of the building. Um, but on each floor, there were about 20 apartments on each floor. 16 stories high, three buildings in a one block radius. And if you could imagine the level of poverty Mm. uh, that was in within that neighborhood, Um, I can remember as a a very young child, um, probably one of my earliest, earliest memories uh, was being home and standing in the windows and just looking out, standing on the windowsill. I was about four years old, standing out the window on the windowsill, watching individuals fight and watching. Um, the gun violence oh, and watching crack cocaine and crack sales and, um, and, and looking there and looking down on the ground from the fourth floor window and, uh, remembering that the sparkles of the, we call them ghetto diamonds, all the broken glass bottles uh. on the ground um i I can remember uh the sounds, so it was never quiet, it was never quiet, and the smells mm-hmm. I don't even want to describe to you what the smells would if you imagine the worst portage on you've ever oh, gone man. into and the worst construction site or the worst part of anything um that's kind of what it smelled like, and it was twenty four seven relentless.
1: I can't, um, I mean, no, I can't imagine that. I mean, I could suppose I could sit there and say I could try to empathize what it was like, but I, I don't have any idea. I've seen, you know, when I traveled the world, when I was in the Marine Corps and a pilot, and I, I went to some, I, I, I thought I knew what poverty was like and abject poverty. And I saw, I, I mean, it's it's amazing, right? And, and even here, and I remember I got the perspective, of like, well, we got it pretty good in the United States. But yeah, there are those pockets where it's just an absolute nightmare. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's complete isolation, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you don't even know, you know, what we were talking, I, I saw that documentary on Quincy Jones last night. We were talking about that. And he said that he, he mentioned, you know, he didn't see anything outside of that element until he was nine or 10 years old. And so that's all he knew. How can, you, what does that do to your mind when, when that's all that you know?
0: You know, it's, it's kind of, sometimes we overuse the word ghetto because mm-hmm. I do believe we all live in our ghettos, whether it's a rich ghetto, it's a poor ghetto, mm-hmm. it's uh you know, whatever you define your ghetto as. But the ghetto that I grew up in was in the um uh early eighties. Yeah. Uh, I mean it, it so was a So crack cocaine is coming yes. like that's
1: just an epidemic yes. nightmare. And
0: and my dad. Um, became addicted to crack oh, cocaine man. so being in a home with a dad that had become addicted and and it's like all the men went away because all the men all all my friends all our fathers were addicted to crack cocaine oh, my Lord. and and they were no longer there so we're now in this community where there is a bunch of women struggling in this extremely violent environment to survive and raise their children the best they can so in addition to that layer of poverty then you have single parent households and all the stresses that come through Come right. That. Uh, and then you have gang violence because where you have drugs, you have gangs. Um, and so our buildings became um, almost um, isolated environments where they warred against each other. So our building would be at war with the next building that I could throw a rock and hit the building. So you can imagine the bullets. That came from building to building. Um, and when I was nine years old, my six-year-old brother was shot. Uh. Uh, we were on our way to the grocery store to buy some candy. Um, and it was probably about a block away. But we had to go through the war zone, which was the playgrounds and the baseball field that mm-hmm. was the war zone to get to the candy store and we could tell from the sounds of the gunshots i mean as nine i can tell you if it was a uzi if it was a 22 an automatic 22 if it was a 38 if it was a python 38 you know it's like a sawed off shotgun we could almost as young kids we could tell from the sounds of the the uh the, the guns what was being shot um and so here my brother is at 6 years old and he Uh, He's shot, and so he's screaming for me, and he's calling for me, and I had made it to safety. And so I turn around and see my little brother, probably about maybe, um, I would say fifty feet away from me, but he's still in the war zone. But now he's not up; he's laying down, mm. and he's crying. I have no idea where he's shot, and he's calling for me to help him. And I and I look. I mean, where were the adults? Yeah, oh my God. Where were the adults? So I run back, and I uh, and I mean, just instinctively, I run and pick my little brother up, throw him over my shoulder. At nine, and he's six. Bring him to safety, and uh, I just remember the like. There were no adults.
1: No there adults. were not, it was
0: like a bunch of kids and we're around my little brother and then finally when the gunshots go away the ambulance shows up um and they're ready to take him but I'm so afraid to let him go because right. I'm afraid my mom like you know and he he can't go without my mom but I'm not his mom but I'm only nine only nine. six and so how do you I it was really, it was just incredible. So I, of course, I get in an ambulance with my nine-year-old brother, um, and my my other younger brother and, the, and our friends. They ran back to the building, not through the war zone, mm-hmm. but all the way around, out of the war zone area to try to go locate a mom. Oh my
1: god, I, it's like Lord of the Flies times ten <laughs> in the you know in the worst in just Armageddon. You know, zombie apocalypse, everything you can think of the worst thing. It doesn't even seem real. It doesn't even seem fathomable.
0: And, Rich, that was the first time he was shot.
1: Oh, my God. There's At more. Six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What a nightmare. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, how does that define? What, so, when did he get shot? So, he lived this time?
0: Yes, he lived. He was shot in the leg and the ankle, which shattered his an- ankle bone. Um, and so, thank God he had some high top gym shoes on that really compressed his ankle as as the bullet went through. Uh, but what was really tough, there was an adult that was shot, or someone that mm-hmm. was bigger than I. I don't know if they yeah. were an adult. Probably seemed like an
1: adult. You could have been she, just a teenager, she right? She didn't make it. She didn't make it.
0: She didn't make it. She didn't make it, mm. you know, and and that was such a common thing. I mean, we would go to school and we would find dead bodies like under the L tracks in Chicago, 35th, oh, 35th Street. We would find guns uh, in the back hallways. Uh, I mean, it was truly a, a a war zone, like some third world country. And not that I'm knocking third world countries. No, but no, it was,
1: but it doesn't that shouldn't. It was right. in it, it,
0: the United States, in Chicago, Illinois, on 35th and Sh- State Street.
1: It shouldn't be, you know. It, that, that, it, it's just, you know, it, it's hard to imagine that. I mean, for me, didn't ex- never experiencing that, just like how can that even be possible, right? And you see snippets of it on the news, and you think you don't understand. You don't get the full picture, right? You know, a 10-second blurb, and, oh, another guy shot, another girl shot, another kid shot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just becomes noise, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And—, and Chicago was a really tough time in the eight, in the 80s yeah. and then again in the 90s. You yeah, know, like I said that was the first time my younger mm-hmm. brother was shot. The second time he was shot, he was 15 years old. And this time so he nine was 9 years later. 9 years later and this time he was shot in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made it. So I I'll, I'll preface this with he made <laughs> it. Um but he was shot because someone was trying to steal his gym shoes. Oh, at 15 years old mm-hmm. and he ran himself all the way to the University of Chicago Hospital, right off 61st and Cottage Grove. And when he got to the emergency room, there were just bullet shells coming from his clothing. Oh my lord. Uh, when When he got to the emergency room, he was only 15 years old. And I'll never forget when we went there, he was still in the children's Hospital, and, and I'll never forget the look. He had to have his mouth wired shut, so we pretty much communicated with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're still standing, we're gonna make it, yeah. we're gonna make it no matter what. Don't give up yet, we're mm-hmm. gonna make it. And as a child, I always thought I was gonna, uh, I did pretty well in school, um, and so I was gonna go to college and bring my two younger brothers with me. Like that was our escape plan.
1: <laughs> so, was that the, so that, that, yeah, going back to that, I mean, I was gonna ask the question like, Okay, obviously that leaves a mark, right? And that defines. um, That's definitely what I call in in the pre interview the in the mud moment, right? You were, man, you were so (laughs) far down in the mud. I can't even imagine how you pull yourself out. So, how was it? By the bootstraps. By the bootstraps, (laughs) right? No parental guidance, figures, mentors, nothing. Again, it's like Lord of the Flies. You're trying to survive on your own. What was it? Was it, were those the defining moments? Your brother getting shot that said, I'm not going to let this happen. Because a lot of times we see things and we say to ourselves, I am not going to be that way. You know, how did you not get sucked into the vortex?
0: You know, so at 15, I ended up a homeless kid so if you kind of I know I kind of jumped to my brother being 15 but when I was 15 years old he was about 13 um, and my other brother he was 14 and so it was kind of the three of us and we were homeless kids on the south side of Chicago we were squatters Uh, pretty much if Rich if you had a if if you were cool and your parents were kind of a fair and mm-hmm. they didn't really watch everything that was going on, I'd come and hang out with you until your family finally decided, hey, when they're going home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we did. In some places, we'd go to abandoned buildings um, and we'd stay there. We'd just travel. as So it was a group of us almost.
1: How did um, you eat? I mean, how did you shower, eat, all that stuff? You
0: know, you, you just, you made it happen. Um, and, and it's weird when I think about it now, but the safest place in Chicago to sleep, especially as a young teenage girl, was in vehicles that they towed and took to the police station because they never locked the doors. Oh, and God. if you got a blazer or a station wagon, you were lucky because you could stretch your you legs lay, out. You lay out. Yes. I mean, and those those were the really tough times. But I remember being there with my younger brother, my 14-year-old brother, and, and we just said, one day we're going to make it. Like, we're we're not gonna be that statistic. We're gonna do this. Like, we're but, gonna go to college. He's he's. We're gonna do it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I hear, and that's so amazing. That you're saying that, but I just think back, <laughs> in hearing this in the perspective. I mean, my problems have been <laughs> minuscule compared to that. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm almost even embarrassed to to l- looking that and hearing that. as like, what am I complaining about? You know, but. You know, just even on an everyday struggle, it's like, I can't imagine Chicago. It's cold. I mean, at some point you had to say, what's the point? I mean, is this ever going to change? I mean, how did you see the light? What kept you going forward and keep, and keeping that positive, you know, space going, someday we're going to make it out of this?
0: You know, I, and for me, it, it was teachers. Like even even through the midst of all of this, I, I was a pretty smart teachers. kid, and I I just I knew that school education would be my way out. Um, as a As a younger child, I had a special ed teacher because, believe it or not, Rich uh, had it not been for Ms. Zering, I wouldn't even be able to have this podcast with mm. you now because I wouldn't even be able to enunciate my name. Or anything in that way. Because
1: you had, tra- you had trouble I, speaking?
0: I, I had a speech impediment. Oh, my gosh. And so I ended up in special ed. And so from kindergarten all the way through sixth grade, Miss Ziering was a mentor for me. Mm. She took me to the Botanical Gardens in Chicago. She took me to the Art Museum, the Museum of Science and Industry. She brought me a little like it was like faux fur but a nice I remember it being a fluffy cotton coat when I was a kid she I would have to meet her in front of the school that was probably about two blocks away from the projects because of course I wouldn't Mm -hmm. thank God she never drove into the projects to pick me up but I would meet her there and she would take me on the most phenomenal places outside of my ghetto So it was exposure.
1: She showed you the other side. She
0: showed me the other side, and she gave me hope, and she told me to never stop believing in myself. She told you that. She told me that. Mm. And from that point on, you know, I feel like I had teachers that uh, came into my life in different points that saw the other side or, or saw potential within me and just told me never to give up on myself. And, and again, being a homeless kid, and your family has given up on you. So your dad gone away to drugs. Your mom, uh, I think my mom struggled with depression and other things, mm-hmm. so she went and did her own thing. So here I am trying to take care of my two younger brothers uh, in a horrible environment, if you can imagine it, on the mm-hmm. south side of Chicago in the 90s. And, and really, the only thing I had going was, I had these teachers that planted the seed in me that said, you're mm-hmm. better than what's around you.
1: Man, if that's not a testament to show, I mean, when we talk about leadership, we talk about mentorship, we talk about um, somebody can make a difference. I mean, it is. I mean, that's how you do it. When we're talking about these things and we see these problems that are bigger than life, and they are, and, and you get so overwhelmed in, in, in action, right? It's like, what's the point? I can't even do it. But it's those individual you know, moments where someone just taking the time, what I call agape you know, I talk about it on the show a lot, this agape style of love, this leadership, right? Agape style of leadership. That's the type of leadership that I think organizations have. Had, where when I say that I love you, it's not the squishy sense that makes an HR person nervous, it's the agape love that I'm gonna sacrifice so that you can prosper, right? Yes. And that's what that teacher did. And and look at the power of that. Okay, it's one person but what's the ripple effect of you? getting out of that. I mean, you can't even calculate it properly. Oh, no. you know there, I mean?
0: there, are, there are several shoulders that I stood upon, right. if, if that makes any sense. It makes
1: perfect so, sense.
0: Um, and I, dropped, of course, dropped out of high school three mm-hmm. times before I eventually made it through high school. Uh, but my high school, super alternative high school English teacher, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Doris Clay, um, I, I'll never forget when I tried to give up on myself. Mm-hmm. She, she came to my home one day. I'll never forget this. And I was 18 years old. I was a teen mom also, so I had a my incredible daughter at 17 oh years old. God. And I, I, the high school that I was going to was so alternative. It was called COPE, C-O-P-E. I can't even rem- remember what the acronym stood for, um, but this was your last chance. If you were going to go to high school and graduate from high school, you have to go through COPE. Uh, because I got pregnant with my daughter in my senior year, I was kicked out of school because they didn't have the resources to support pregnant girls um, in high school in the early, mid-90s. Um, and so I ended up in this school, and and Miss Clay, she... Just Again, she, she told me I was better than this. Like right. I can do better than this. And when I would not come to school, she would come to my house. <laughs> and she would say, why aren't you at school? And it was as simple as I didn't have bus tokens. I didn't have bus tokens to get to school. Uh, and so she made certain that I got to school every day, and she connected me to things that was greater than I. She correct, connected me to the Department of Aging Senior Program, where I got to write poetry uh, with seniors, and they got to pour into me. Um, I got to volunteer and do some really cool things in high school. Um, for instance, I um, I know that I'm beautiful. I know that I'm strong, although I can't feel it. Right. Life slaps me down every time I stand. Corruption and chaos destroys my visibility of happiness. I feel so alone. No one believes in me. People are afraid of me. And sometimes I fear myself. I don't know what to do. I'm lost and confused in a society that doesn't understand or comprehends right from wrong, positive from negative. I had no father. My mother was solo, weary, shaken, insufficient. She could not guide me through that cruel Hmm. environment alone. So I fantasize, drugs, no, just say no. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. I need more than a superficial hero or role model. I need a real chance. I need an opportunity to be who I can be one day. <laughs> Don't categorize me from the color of my skin, from the neighborhood I live, nor the words I speak, but place me in a class that is determined to break a cycle and have an uprise and success. I am the young, I am the beautiful, I am Generation X. (laughs) And so I literally wrote that poem working with the seniors. And I will never forget that was that turning point for me that I could do it, I had this child, I had to do it for her. Yeah. Because I was the product of my parents' circumstances. What what I live was because of their circumstance. Right. But my daughter would be a product of mine. Right. And I owed it to her at that point to be better and to do better, as well as my two younger brothers that I promised myself when we were in the backseat of that <laughs> car at the police station <laughs> that we're going to make it. We're going to make it, Rich. Mm-hmm. And we made it. We made it.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God, that's just so powerful. I mean, it, it it's a testament to, you know, I mean, this is this is almost like the extremes of combat, where you hear combat stories and people do you know overcome these overwhelming odds. It's the same thing, right? And it it's a testament to the power that no matter what happens to us, and you're right. I mean, we it it sucks that we're we have no choice in some of these circumstances that we're brought into, or things that and things are going to happen to us, right? That we have no control over. But the one thing that you can't that that Despite all that you have a hundred percent control power of of the way that you frame that and you choose that you still have a choice, and it may be a crappy choice <laughs> right and but it's still a choice yeah. and it's it's the the empowerment of of having of, of having the awareness and ability to see that you still have a choice in this yeah. you, you desperate could, situation
0: you can lay down and take it or you could stand up and fight for what you believe in
1: right I'm a big fan of the Stoics where they talk about. The obstacle is the way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would probably imagine that I'm, I'm probably more stoical or I like the stoics because they're like, you know, what happened to you? It's kind of weird to wrap your, your mind around it, but it's kind of like what happened to you. It's neither good or bad. It just is. And the obstacle that you're presented to, how you choose to get around it is what's going to define you and shape you as a person, as a human being, your character. And that that obstacle is there to define your greatness, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and you know what? It, how I had to frame my life, it's in the valleys you grow. Yep. So I think the other strong piece was spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I was and ask as, you a, about as that. a kid, yeah. I, I didn't even, we never went to church. I, I didn't mm-hmm. grow up a, in a religious family or there wasn't spirituality at all. Um, but as I went through this journey, I, I realized that there was something greater than I. Yeah. I, I remember walking through the streets and like, Lord, if it, if please take me, like I could get a, Somebody could shoot me in a drive-by. I mean, that's how bad it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I would play Russian roulette with my life because right. it, when you're in it, it's hard to yeah, see out like, it. well, of. It's, it's what's like, what's the point? Yeah, and and I don't. I mean, even though my teacher has told me that I was better than that, you had no concept of what pe- better was. Yeah, better yeah. than what? Exactly. What What's that? Or what's better? Um, and it's like I just I want to go to heaven at this point because I hear heaven is beautiful, it's wonderful, it's heavenly
1: I'm just tired of struggling I'm
0: tired and and tired if you imagine anything that could happen to an inner city young teenage girl, it happened
1: yeah, I get so, it, yeah,
0: so during some of those really tough times, it's like why, why me, why me? but I sta- sit here before you right now, rich, and tell you I completely understand why it was a testimony. Anything and everything that's ever happened to me, God has allowed me to use that, whether in somebody else's journey or even in times that that it was really hard. I wouldn't give up because it's like you've been through things much harder than this. You can't, you're gonna let that take you down. Mm -hmm. Like no, you are stronger than that. You know, in the Bible it tells us that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But imagine, Rich, if your testimony. Is your weapon. Yes. Everything you've ever gone through is, is becomes a weapon for you. Yep. So anything that comes towards you, you're able to kind of regurgitate that and say, you know what? I'm not going to let that get the best of me. I know how I'm going to have to deal with whatever this obstacle is because I know, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. And, and imagine learning that when you're a young child.
1: I can't imagine it.
0: So out of the trauma, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you grow or you internalize it. Now, once you internalize it, you can internalize it in a way where you become that statistic mm-hmm. or you become that dot on the yeah. graph way up there that right. you kind of dismiss. And and you're able to take everything you've ever gone through and use it to empower and help
1: Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So, if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Two things that I want you to, I want to get your take on. You know, and you're going through that and you are that kind of anomaly, that statistic and why me? I mean, the thing that I struggle with is when we see people going through and you could probably, you could probably write down a list of names, you know, fill up a book of people that you're associated with who, um, What you consider, you know, gifts, smarter, brighter, had leadership skills, this or that. And they were just taken out randomly for whatever reason. Right. They didn't do anything wrong. They were doing everything you said you were going to do. And then something, you know, wiped them off. How do you? That's what I I've struggled reconciling with that, you know, as a leader. What do you say to that?
0: So so it's two parts. I, I feel like I have this life, this this incredible life. Uh, growing up. So I went through the school of hard knocks. Right. Um, And I lost so many incredible people. In right. Way. Right. I mean, some of my best friends, Cedric, Nicole, mm-hmm. uh, Tracy. Oh, my goodness. Dexter. I mean, just so many incredible people who we all were like, we're getting out of here. I mean, Cedric wanted right. to open up he his of laundromats. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, I'm getting out of here. Uh, but shot in front of his mom. Right. In front of his mom. I mean, literally shot in the head in front of his mom.
1: That would crush me. That And that and even hearing that, it, it deflates me a little bit. I'm like, how do you reconcile that, you know?
0: I mean, so you almost pick up the flag. You pick that mm, up.
1: That's a good way to look at it. And
0: you say, you know what, Cedric, I'm going to make it for you. Mm. So, Nicole, I'm going to make it for you because I know what was in your heart. Right. I, I know what you wanted to do. I know we're going to get out of here. And if one of us gets out, we all get out. Mm. Does that I like love one that. of us no, get I out? We all get out, yeah. and we get to pay it forward. Because what's unique about who I am, Rich, is that I get to talk and touch people in a way that yes, I do have a master's in business. Newman's an incredible university, Newman University. I, mm. I have a master's in social work, but what I learned from the school of hard knocks, like that's that's there. Yeah, that's that's in my heart. Um, and I, I learned business practices and theories and therapy and all these different things. I, I mean, I'm a substance abuse counselor. I can do that, too. I thought I was going to fix my dad, you know. Right, right. And all the dads. Right, right. <laughs> but but that's. So when I think about the leaders that I encountered um, professionally, academically, uh, if that makes any sense. And it's like what was missing from those leaders and the leaders that I that I met and learned and loved in the School of Heart Knocks was passion. Yeah, passion and that will that you're not going to give up. If I fall down, you have to pick up the flag and keep you're going. You're obligated. On this side, it was more competitive.
1: Right. I'm going to outdo you. Right.
0: Like I'm going to make it to the top before you do. Right. So think about that theory. I'm going to make it before you, but if I fall down, you carry the flag, you make it out. Yeah. yeah I mean, it completely
1: I, know, I I love the way you said that and, and that helps with my reconciliation because you're absolutely right because it's almost like and I know you believe this deep down it's that you are who you are because of those sacrifices of them and that that the juice that you have that 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 pushed you forward in those darkest hours I mean it was Cedric in his dream you know what I mean you feel an obligation there and that's the juice that you need to keep to keep going on and so yeah so you're trying you know the the image is is you're going forward and yeah and you're you're being competitive on this side because that's what it is but really you've got a bunch of yeah you got a bunch of people pushing you you know bunch what I mean? of
0: angels bunch of <laughs> angels pushing you going that way right
1: and that's like a rich
0: hood angel <laughs> angels, <laughs> angels from the hood you know but i mean that's how you get
1: that's how you you have to look at it that way because not it'll bury you. Oh yeah. Because it would stop. I'd be like, well, what's the f- what's the point?
0: The the faces, Rich. Like if you could imagine, most of my friends who did pass away, there those were closed casket funerals, and yeah, we because, were afraid to go to funerals. Yeah, because, because of, the, of the gang the violence. Lord. I mean, so you, when you saw your friend, literally, you were there with your friend, and you saw those last moments. Mm those last moments you were there because you were all running at the same time but one of you or a few of you guys fell down and didn't get back up and so when you go back and you get back with the rest of the group that's left you're like man you know uh, you, you process it. And mm-hmm. it's weird. Like you said, this weird imagine. environment where you, you're, you're children, but you're processing something that's so adult-like.
1: Well, it's, it is. It's like it's the same equivalent. Of course, I'm a big history buff and had a lot of vets in World War II. It's the same thing. It's the same psychological yes. thing as combat. I mean, it's, it's a literally the same event. In fact, it's even worse because you're in it all the time. There's no escaping it because even with combat, you can pull yourself back from the front line. You go back and get a warm shower. This is hell, right? That's and your life. That's your life. And so the same the same psychological um,
0: PTSD. Yeah, it,
1: it's <laughs> the same thing. It's
0: it's you know.
1: And, and, so, and so I w- I guess I would ask you and like how I mean how do you. How, even today, I mean, how do you not go back to those nights of, you know, seeing you your do. friendship? You do, right?
0: You do, because that's just a part of who it you is. are, but you get to take that and you get to channel it into something that could push you forward or something that's going to hold you back.
1: That's the choice, and recognizing that you have that choice to do yes. something with that, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I don't know if you realize the influence that you have potentially have again? I don't know, but I mean, do you are, do you understand the raw power that you have with this story, with that background of the influence and the impact that you can have on individuals, organizations, even the society? Do you recognize the the, the true impact?
0: You know, Rich, I. Again, I am so blessed to be sitting here before you, and I acknowledge that blessing. And so what I do and how I live my life is to be a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. And and it's kind of interesting because I, I tell you all that, and I tell you that my mom's an incredible woman today. And that I will never forget when my mom hugged me with tears in her eyes saying that if she could have done it differently, she would have. And me telling my mom that if you would have done it differently, I wouldn't be who I am today. Mm, wow. So I accept every lesson that I've gone through because I, I appreciate that. every blessing. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. And that little girl I had at 17. She's a Howard graduate, she graduated at the top of her class awesome. and I will never forget sitting there on Mother's Day at her graduation going, wow, girl, you, little, you <laughs> did that little girl, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then watch my little girl um, do something so incredible. So to be able to break that cycle. so. What I, when, whenever I can, and I still do, I go mentor at the juvenile intake facility. I talk to women who are going through substance abuse programs or just, just anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you do not have to live up to the expectation that the statistic will tell you you are. Like you create, you get to create your own journey. Mm-hmm. You get to create your own future you. It's the
1: choice, right? The power of the choice. Yes.
0: Choose, wisely. Mm-hmm. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. <laughs> and you can break that cycle. Whatever cycle you're stuck in, whatever cycle you're in, you have the power to break that cycle and move forward and be who you want to be. Be your best you. Yeah. Um, and that's like no regrets. Just be your best you. You're never going to erase your past. No. You're never going to get all the mud off your boots. No, yeah, right. <laughs> but you appreciate that mud as part of the journey. Right.
1: It's kind of like I, I equate it to, you know, like when your hands are really muddy and then you wash them off. And then for a few days, you still you're, yeah. you're in the creases of your knuckles, you still see a little yes. bit of it. And even the cuticles of your fingernails. Yes. That's. That, but you appreciate that, right? Yeah. Yes. You have to. Yes. I mean, all the. With. with it was amazing it strikes me when I was talking about a good friend of mine, he was a World War II vet, Iwo Jima, amazing story. You know, cliff note version. He lied about his age and joined the Marine Corps when he was sixteen after World War II, right? Saw saw stuff you just can't even imagine, right? Miracle story. But my point of it is, is when I was talking to him, he died two years ago, Memorial Day. And I was talking when he was sick three years ago in Went down to Oklahoma to visit him and talk, and I'd heard all of his stories before, and I just loved this man. He was just a And I said, What did you you know, you saw so much horrific stuff, losing friends, losing all this stuff. What what was out of all that experience, you know, in those two years defined his life from there on out, right? How yes. he chose. And I said, What what was the biggest takeaway? What did you what's your biggest takeaway from that? And he said, I learned how to love another human being deeply. Yes. And I was like, Oh my God, and I was floored. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife started crying. He said, "Yeah." And I said, "What?" He goes, "I just... I did. I saw, and I lost all this, but I learned how to love deep." Yes. And that's what I see from you. You learn how to love deep, yes, really deep.
0: And, and how to forgive. And forgive. And right? forgive. You know, and sometimes forgiving yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, and. And I told you kind of about my, my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I actually reconnected with my dad, too.
1: Did you really? Yes. Are they both still with us?
0: No, my dad passed away in 2014 from lung cancer. Wow. Um, but we had two really good years. Like, I, I'll never forget when mm-hmm. I got to that point where my cup was empty. It was right. so empty. And right. everything that I, have like all the faces were coming at me, all mm. the situations, all the episodes. I mean, I was kind of at this shutdown. Almost mm-hmm. like I, I didn't know where to go. Like, how do I move forward? How do I allow myself to be loved? Because I was such a damaged right? good. Right. I, I mean, you, you literally get to those points because when you get to that next level, you look at the people around you and you realize that you're different. You're different. Like the con- your conversation is completely different. <laughs> so you're It's you're like different. that combat
1: vet coming back.
0: You yes. can't relate. right? Uh, and so I, I needed to go back and make amends for my past. So I I actually had a list of people I needed to go and talk to. I I had to go talk to my mom. I had to go talk to my dad. I had to go talk to, like, a couple of aunts and uncles who I felt like, you know, I just needed to give them their stuff back. Right. Because I had been carrying around in his backpack of life now all this trauma. So I had to say something about it. And I'll never forget, I went to my dad and told him that, you know, I love you so much, daddy. But when... I came to you and I needed you, you weren't there for me. Mm -hmm. And you weren't there for my brothers. And it's hard for me. I'm a grown person now. (laughs) I'm an adult now. And whenever I see you, you apologize for what you did or didn't do. And what I need to do is to be able to move forward. Like, I want a dad. I I want to reintroduce myself to you so you can see who I am today. Mm -hmm. Because I'm no longer that little girl. And every time we interact, the way we interact with each other, it reminds me of a part in my life that it's not that I'm not going to forget it, but it's hard for me to interact with you if every time I'm reminded of that. Right. And so we agree that I, I, he introduced me, introduced himself to me. I reintroduced myself to him. And he told me, let me go take you to your grandma and to your aunts and uncles. These are family members that I didn't even know I had. Wow. So I got to meet my grandma and I think I was 32. <laughs> so I go to my grandma and I'm like getting all kind of grandma hugs and and we were we had so much in common. I looked just like really my grandma and my aunt. Yeah. that I couldn't believe it. And from that point my dad and I had, had the most incredible relationship. And through that relationship, he taught me that it's okay. like, I, I deserve to be loved. My dad loved me. Mm-hmm. Like, he loved me. Right. I mean, just some weird kind of way.
1: Well, but I mean, um, you, you know, it's just like I said, I mean, why does anybody get caught up in that cycle? It's just, it's desperation. It's, it's lack of hope. It's like, what's the point? You're surrounded by, I mean, how can you not? I mean, like you said, the statistics prove it. Otherwise, how can you not get sucked down that vortex? I yes. I just, it's it's an amazing story. And your mom's still with us, you said?
0: Yes. And, and my mom, uh, she's an incredible uh, person today. And, and you know what? I think for both of them, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. and they were able to forgive themselves.
1: Yeah, right. You can know? you imagine that? Can you imagine that burden as a parent? I mean, you know, you're a parent. Yeah. If you had failed in that. In, in, in every way possible, failed society's norms and your kid. And every, yeah, can you and, imagine?
0: And it's almost easier if your kid would have become a statistic. Right. Because you're like, hey, that's everybody else's kid. But
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. it's <lower laughs> true.
0: So, so I think my parents' struggle like, whoa, she actually made it out, you know? Yeah. And so, but to be humble enough with them and tell them that it's okay. Yeah, like, it's all right. Forgive I forgive you. 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 Yeah. Everything that happened. And, mm-hmm. and please forgive yourself. Right. Um because I don't want you to carry that burden around because God had greater plans for both of right. us. For all of us. <laughs> Amazing.
1: I'm just I'm just such awe of, of listening to this. I what And you've got a lot of life left, so what's next? What are you excited about? Where where are we taking this now?
0: You know, Rich, uh, well right now I'm currently the uh, CEO, President and CEO of HealthCore Clinic uh, here in Wichita, Kansas, and we're a community health center that provides access to medical, dental, behavioral health, pharmacy, and all different types of services, regardless of an individual's ability to pay for services. Uh, I've been in this role for the last eight years, uh, and we've been able to do some incredible things in the Wichita community. Uh, when I started there, it was an organization that was about a $1.2 million organization, and now we're a $10 million organization serving over 6,000 individuals, and no one's turned away regardless of their ability to wow, pay. Wow, amazing. Uh, whether they have insurance, they don't have insurance, they and people could start at the front desk and say, I need help or I need hope. Uh, and we start right there and get them connected to the services that they need. Um, the community community health centers. It's a national movement. There is over, I think, close to two thousand community health centers across the United States. I think we're in every state now, almost every major city, uh, and we provide access to care to over twenty five million individuals across the United States each year.
1: Amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's there's so many things I'm involved I'm, I'm in and I'm not, and it's an area I admit I just don't know a lot about and I just but I'm hearing this and if I can't think of a perfect person to run this organization, <laughs> it's got to be you they're so blessed to have you at the at, you know you know running the ship at least locally so uh, what is what are the big challenges what are the struggles how can people help you how can how can we dive in and and, and help this great cause
0: I- I think the first thing is that a lot of people don't really realize how different your life would be without health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I again, I go back and I think about it as a kid, the way I grew up, without access to the health services that we needed. Um, and so when I think today, like, I would have loved to have gone to a community health center and said, I'm hungry. I'm hurting. I need help. My mama needs help. Uh, my daddy needs help. But, but those opportunities didn't present themselves as a child. So when I think about the health center movement now across the United States, it's an opportunity. It's, it's a place where you can go and be heard and get help and, and and get the attention you need in an environment that provides quality care, in an environment that believes that the patient deserves good quality care and they deserve access to care. And then also an environment that is helping to reduce and control costs within the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Um, Too many times you have the have and the have-nots. You know, when you have insurance, it's easy to go like, oh no, we're going to cut funding there and we Mm -hmm. don't really need to provide access to uh, services over here. Um, But I want you to imagine for a moment what would you do if you did not have right. your Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Healthcare, whatever your health, Medicare, you know, whatever your insurance coverage is? Um, and, and if you could imagine uh, what it would be like to not have that, uh, put your feet in the shoes of someone who doesn't and who needs access to care and, and help inform policies like Medicaid expansion. You know, don't take away (laughs) services from uh, mental health services from communities across the United States, you know, uh, be an, be an advocate. Uh, Part of uh, community health centers, our boards are 51% consumer run. Uh, And so we need individuals on boards across the United States that, that, have the compassion and the knowledge and the expertise to really be advocates for this targeted, uh, po- these targeted populations across the United States.
1: I love that. And I wish, you know, it's one of the things that I'm, you know, one of my big pet peeves is and it gets lost in the political noise of, you know, of the Fox News, CNN, MSNBC garbage noise that I see in there. And it's right. I think. I mean, if you even look back at the founding of this country and, and if, or at the principles of what it stands for, you know. We should always take care of those that can't take care of themselves and give them a leg up, right and yes. that's and that that gets lost in the noise sometimes, right, and it gets lost in the political budgets and all this other stuff, yes. and that's why I love what you said i mean it, there's so much we can do as a community. It's like mm-hmm. let's take care of those that can't take care of themselves right yes. that needs that just needs that help, and you're a testament to that. you're just a, you know you're right, if you could have gone in when you're thirteen, I'm hungry, I need help, my daddy's yes. help, I need hope, Yes. right. Help and hope. Help and hope. I love that.
0: <laughs> because now, I think about it today, yes, I received welfare benefits. Yes, I was a recipient of food stamps. Yes, my mom had Medicaid and, and probably TANF and all the different benefits. Um, and as a, when I grew uh, to, you know, 17, 18, I had my daughter. I ended up on food stamps and benefits. Mm-hmm. But I also had the Pell Grant that helped me go to college. Right. So I made it through Chicago State University. Um, and now I, I think about that progression and... And I am a tax-paying citizen. Right, you know, I pay my fair share. Right, I'm, I'm not on the other side of it, and and nobody really wants to be on that other side because a lot of times I think there is this bias or this. Um, lack of understanding for the have and have nots. So if you have you're looking at people who have not and you kind of go like oh well they want to be that way they're taking advantage of the mm-hmm. system they you know they're they're lazy they're you know all these different stereotypes that right. that come along with that but if you give them hope and help and and help them get to where they are and help me look differently for you know, right. it, it looks differently. And and where I can achieve or where I can su- succeed will be different for each individual. Yeah. So everyone's not going to make it out and, you know, be CEO of the health center. Uh, but wherever it is that they land, like my brother's a welder. He has nine kids. He's a welder. And he, nine kids by the same woman. You always have to put that out there. <laughs> and he has never left his children. He has, because we made a commitment. He would never, he never wanted to be our dad. Right. So he never left his kids, and he's a welder, and he does incredible stuff. And with he's so artistic with his welding. Uh, And my other brother, he went to the navy, so he served our country. Uh, So if you think about it from that perspective, um, but no matter where you are, uh, whether you're and I I hate to use the word have-nots, but I I, just thinking (laughs) of the audience you have there, it puts it in perspective, right? Because there's a fine line between have and have not. Mm -hmm. Get a diagnosis, (laughs) you know, get get a chronic. You know, get get diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, you you will be a have not really quick. Pretty quick, you know. And so there is a fine line that divides who we think we are and where we don't want to go, or where we are and where we want to go.
1: Right, and that's why I hate that's why I hate politics. Yes, because as human beings, it, it takes the human being aspect out of it. Right. Yes, because I, you know I, I'm a firm believer, like you said. I mean, all it took. I mean, not all it took. It took a lot. But It took a lot of those, you know, that teacher that's, you know, hardly making anything. But she, took, for whatever reason, she had that passion to say, "Don't ever give up hope." Don't you? Let me show you this. Let me show. Let they me cared. show you this museum that cared, right? Cared. And it is about that. It's about love. It's about agape love, and and if that should be at the center of everything, everything, right? Yeah. And if you do that, and in, in, I'm sacrificing. <laughs> If we could all go through life and realize that every interaction that we have with another human being is an opportunity for, for something, right? And it's not about being what kind of leader, what kind of financial position, position. It's, it's about every single day going, what leader does someone need me to be today? And you can answer that question regardless of your experience, right? I can be a leader that someone needs me to be right now today. And I think that's the trick. And that's where I see solving all these, Overwhelming problems, right? Because, <laughs> but it's proof. It shows that teacher, you know, um, that assistance that you needed when you were the have not, right? And you didn't abuse it, and you weren't. I mean, it wasn't. You know, it's like I needed it to live. I needed it to get, you know, yeah. an education. I needed it to, to get. My tooth extracted right yes.
0: and and part of it is just being you. I think too many times we put a lot of yeah, pressure on what a what a leader yep. you know what what it means to be a leader. We all leave from any space any yeah. time any any intervention. I mean if you've ever walked down the street and you walk by someone and you and and sometimes we get so afraid we put these blinders on where we don't mm. even want to see the person next to us, but sometimes a smile you'd be surprised how far a smile could go. You'd be surprised how far a hug will go. Or it's just acknowledgement.
1: That you're here on your planet and that you matter, right? Yes. It's that authenticity that we you know, you're talking about, the transparency, the vulnerability, but also realizing that every interaction, how can I add value to this transaction, right? Mm-hmm. And if it is a smile or it's this cashier at Quick Trip and you're like, hey, I love the service you give here. You're awesome, man. I love. You know what I mean.
0: And that, and that's what leadership is service. It is. It's service. It's service. Yeah. That's. It's just service. Anyway, it's service. <laughs> I love this conversation.
1: I could sit here and talk to you. We've been talking for almost 50 minutes now, and I mean, I could talk to you for another three hours. But um, maybe we'll have to do a part two at some other point. I'm so <laughs> thrilled and honored to have you in the Dose of Leadership Circle. Um, I, I, I'm an honor to be a part of, of your circle. And uh, what a, a blessing to know you and uh, what an amazing individual you are. And um, uh, you're a leader of leaders for sure, you know, and I appreciate you coming on the show. How can people get in touch with you and find out more about the, the community well, health core?
0: Uh, health core clinic, we're located here in Wichita, about three blocks west of where the Shockers play. So mm. that's uh, Wichita State University. So we're at 21st and Erie. Uh, our telephone number is 316 Zero two four nine. Uh, our website: www.healthcoreclinic and core C O R E Health Core Clinic. Uh, and I'd like to say, if you need any help, you you could just show up. You can call us and say, "Hey, I need help. I need help." Uh, and and we start right there.
1: Awesome. I'll have links to all that on the on the post, so people can check it out at thoseleadership.com. Thanks for coming to the show, Teresa. It was really an honor to meet you.
0: Well, thank you, Rich.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure you, to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com, where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.